welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Great Shot Kid, the podcast here on the Nerd Party Network that looks at the inner workings of films that you love to debate, love to love, and sometimes love to hate. I am John. And I'm Mike. And this week we are coming at you fully loaded and fully rested. Uh, we've had a couple of weeks off, but, uh, you know, hey, art takes time. And uh, speaking of art, just want to direct everybody over to thenerdparty.com where you can find all of these podcasts that we have for all the fandoms that you could possibly want. Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, the Edinburgh Film Festival, if you wanted to. We just had great coverage of that. We've got Nerd Nuptial. We've got... You name it, we've got it. And you can go over to the nerdparty.com slash contact, look up Great Shot Kid, drop us a line, we'll get it, we'll respond to you either on air or directly. You can find the network at Joy Nerd Party on Twitter, use the hashtag Great Shot Kid. And you can find the Nerd Party on Facebook and Instagram, of course, because who isn't on there these days? So, all of that out of the way, Mike, I wanted to bring something up with you this week because, of course... Um, even though we figured maybe, just maybe, cooler heads would prevail in the weeks we've been off, uh, they haven't, and people are still worked up and uh, clawing at each other on Twitter and everything, and it's been bad enough to bring James Mangold, the director of Logan, uh, a, I would say, a beloved recent superhero comic book film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, and he's been rumored as directing a Boba Fett movie, unconfirmed, but that's the big rumor that's gone around. And a Hollywood Reporter yeah. reported it, so it's real. You know, yeah. the, the question is whether or not it's still happening after Solo. Well, I think that there's also a question that Mangold himself brought in because on he took to Twitter, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote him right here. One of his tweets that that started off uh, sort of a uh, big discussion with other people was he tweeted out. At the point when work writing and directing big franchises has become the emotionally loaded equivalent of writing a new chapter of the Bible with the probable danger of being stoned and called a blasphemer, then a lot of bolder minds are going to leave these films to hacks and corporate boards. And uh, somebody, of course, replied with, they already have. And he said, if you feel that is the case, if you feel the filmmakers are just corporate tools and powerless, then why bitch at us? In the case of Ryan Johnson and Chris McQuarrie, I assure you these cats are not owned. They actually fight your battles behind the scenes. So I think this is something where all of the toxic fandom discussion, I've sort of, I've stayed out of it because, uh, you know, there's no point in getting involved in it online and everything. But I've, I've sort of had the attitude of, eh, you know, it's in a bubble. Nobody's really noticing this. Do you think that Mangold's tweets here signal a turning point where filmmakers are going to start steering clear of the franchises? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that can easily happen because, you know, sort of the lure of these franchises, right, are that they're beloved by the filmmakers, right? You know, it's their lifelong dream to make a Star Wars movie. And here's their chance. And, you know, it's a dream come true. And then you see what happens afterwards, and it's like, okay, is that really worth it? Because you're going to be, you know, putting yourself through some emotional turmoil with these fans who are just going to be yelling at you nonstop. And, I mean, you could do what JJ does and just unplug. You know, he's not on Twitter or anything like that. Or mm -hmm. you could do what, you know, Christopher McQuarrie 
did, you know, where he said, you know, I don't want to make a Star Wars movie anymore. Not after seeing what Ryan Johnson is going through. So sorry, guys, but I'm going to do something else. So I can definitely see that happening. I mean, there's certainly got to be a point, and it's going to be different for everyone, where they say, it's just not worth it. You know, I'm going to do my own thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although you could argue that Christopher McQuarrie has had a hand in a Star Wars movie already, of course. Uh, yeah. W- one that was beloved by fans, I'd point out. Yeah. But but he wasn't on the front lines of that battle or anything yeah. like that. You know, I mean, it's kind of like the whole Tony Gilroy thing where, you know, he obviously had a major hand yeah. in that movie. But he still doesn't consider that to be his own. And when they asked him, like, would you want your own? He's like, nah. Not because of the fans, just because he doesn't yeah. care. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I, you know, it, it's funny too because I look at it in terms of everybody clamors they want. I mean, you know what? Honestly, I'll go all the way back to Zack Snyder. I, myself included, I, I threw shade at Snyder pretty openly after Batman versus Superman. I was, I was part of the giant tide of people that didn't care for it and was very vocal about it. And I think that that is where the precedent was set was it was okay when that movie came out to very virulently decry about how much you hated it and how much DC movies sucked. And I, I never went that far with it, but it was a very, very popular pastime with a lot of people online to basically kick Zack Snyder, figuratively speaking. I think that's really the point where this all this flashpoint, it was established as okay behavior back then, and, you know, as a believer in the slippery slope philosophy, it's all just downhill from there. So, uh, you know, like I can understand why, you know, a few years back, it's totally fine to do it. And now we want people to stop. And it's like, did we already let the monster out? Well, but it's I mean, and Mangold brought this up, too. You know, it's it's a different type of thing. He's like, you know, if you tweet James Mangold and say, hey, your movie's garbage burn in hell like that's a lot different from having a conversation with your friends saying James Mangold's movie is garbage you know and you know like he was saying he's like if you're going to say that if you're going to say something to a person online it should be something that you'd be willing to say to their face otherwise you know you're being a jerk but yeah if you're going to be criticizing you know uh, my movie to your friends, then you don't, then who cares what you say? You can say whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You know, you're just having a private conversation. So that, sure. I think, is the difference. I mean, people have always talked about, they talked about how terrible Joe Schumacher was back in the 90s, right? It's just that we he didn't heard. have social media. <laughs> but he heard those words. Sure. They got back to him. Sure, they get back to him. But but it's 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 different in terms of, you know, People saying, like, he makes terrible movies and someone going up to someone and saying, you make terrible movies. And I think yeah, that's, that's the difference. <laughs> you know, I, I don't but, have any problem criticizing, mean, and I like Batman versus Superman, whatever, but I don't have any problem in general criticizing the work of any filmmaker. That's perfectly fine, you know, and saying that the movie is terrible. If it's terrible, it's terrible. You know, that's the way it is. I wouldn't say that to that person's face because I mean what's the point you know it's just like that you're just being mean 
at that point. You know what I mean? I do. I do know what you mean by that. And uh, but uh, okay. I, I mean, because I don't want to give up the point that easily. I mean, the trades, quote unquote, so to speak, the the blogs under official banners, if you will, they were pretty vicious with Snyder pretty openly and they were from quote-unquote legit outlets and that only threw gasoline on the fire but again there's a difference like i mean the harshest criticism that i've seen from like professional outlets and pretty much across the board has been in in recent time anyway has been for akiva goldsman where anytime Mm -hmm. something comes up and this came up big time with dark tower people will just launch into how terrible he is and how everything that he touches turns to crap and how he is kind of known for taking beloved properties and messing them up and how it's absolutely ridiculous that he gets a a chance let alone this many chances and how he has absolutely no right to make movies in you know in Hollywood and you know these are from you know legit news sources or whatever you know taking down this guy's career point by point or whatever, but it's all about the work, you know? Mm -hmm. They're not Mm -hmm. criticizing him as a person necessarily. Okay, I I see what you're saying. I would still say that the Zack Snyder stuff got a bit personal, but in terms of Star Wars in specific, as we're sitting here talking about it, I realize who the first canary in the coal mine was for us was Lindelof who got chased off of Twitter because people wouldn't leave him alone yeah. about, and he, he initially started out handling it with like, you know, haha, you know, aplomb and some, some dry wit and stuff like that. It's one of the reasons I followed him initially was I had a lot of fun watching him. You know, somebody tweeted at him, you are S and he tweeted back, you left out and in quotes V, you know, that sort of thing. I thought it was very cute and everything, but eventually everybody chased him off. And I remember, an article in specific asking him if he was going to help J.J. Abrams write episode seven. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, essentially, I've been through something like this. I'm not going near Star Wars. He's like, people already hate me. I'm not going to put up with this. So was he even our first warning light that this was coming? Yeah. And, and I mean, he was someone who was treated very poorly, by members of the quote-unquote legitimate media, you know, one particular who is no longer a member of the legitimate media himself anymore because of um, past indiscretions and and all the rest of it. So, you know, and and I remember, like, tweets between the two of them where, like, you know, the guy just kept on going and going and going, and Lindelof is like, I get it. Stop. Okay. Yeah. Just stop. You know, stop tweeting me. You know, like say as much as you want, but don't keep on tagging me in this. You know. But um, yeah. I mean, it's I don't know. There, there's, I don't know. It's 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 a complicated issue in that you know critics are criticizing you know movies, and uh, you know some people take it too far some you know most of them are let's say fans not professional critics but you know there are also times where i think there are cases of filmmakers being 
like overly sensitive. I mean, there's one in particular um, who makes some Marvel movies, and there have been <laughs> numerous tweets I've seen where people who have not even tagged him, who have just been criticizing his work, have been, you know, on the end of his wrath. And it's just like, okay, guy, you know what? They didn't like your 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 comic book movie. So, you know, just let let up, okay? You don't need to start throwing around the insults and whatever. They didn't, you know, say that you were a terrible person or anything. They just said that you made a bad movie. They didn't even say it to you. So, you know what? Just he's off a little bit, you know? But whatever. Sure. Everyone's different, sure. I guess. Right? So. Yeah. Everyone is different. But it's it's interesting to me because I just rewatched Halloween 2. Um, and uh, I so I watched, finally, the making of documentary uh, about Halloween 2. The Nightmare Isn't Over, the making of Halloween 2, where they interview... Uh, Rick Rosenthal, the director, and um, all the other key players uh, and everything. And uh, what struck me was Rosenthal, when he's asked, you know, they're obviously asking a leading question, trying to set up a sort of thing of like, well, has, you know, you don't hear them ask the question, but you can just sense the the question was, as a director, does it bother you that you had to go through so many gateways for the final cut or or, or words to that effect? Because his answer was essentially, well, I understand, I understood with this, it's not my movie. It's, this isn't art, this is, you know, something by committee, and I know that the producer's going to want this, and I want this, and the writer wants this, and he says, and so it's just, it's going to come out of that collaboration. And is that possibly, possibly, the hurdle here is that they need to basically pull back and get, you know, quote unquote, lesser known uh, directors to do these things. Do you think that the fans would take it easier on the directors and turn their vitriol instead toward the property instead of the person? I mean, I don't know how fans would react, but I mean, that might be the solution to a lot of their problems. And, you know, I, I think you see that happening with like Marvel a lot, you know, they, they tend to hire people who may not be what you would consider an auteur or whatever, um, because they want someone who they can control. I think they've flat out said it. That's why they hire so many indie filmmakers is because they want people who they can control. And, you know, I mean, some people work really well in that environment. Some people thrive in it. And then some people, you know, just can't. And I think it really depends on the type of personality and everything. I mean, you're basically looking for a television director in a sense. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of really, really good television directors out there. And, um, you know, maybe that's that's who they should be looking for. But, I mean, is that going to make for a more interesting product? I don't know. See, that's the thing which which sort of like bothers me is like, yeah, making a movie by committee, it can totally work. I mean, that's what Casablanca was, you know, I mean, people right. talk about it's the best studio movie ever made. It's not like Michael Curtiz had this amazing vision for Casablanca. He had a <laughs> script and, you know, 15 days to shoot it or whatever it was. 
you know, and he just made a hell of a movie out of that script, which was written by, you know, two groups of writers, one of which, you know, was brought on after the other people were assigned to do something else. You know, it was just a, it's just like pieces in a machine. And, you know, we're getting back to that in a lot of ways. And, you know, you can make a great thing by doing that. And yet it, to me, kind of is almost meaningless because it doesn't have that singular vision. You know, and I'd rather see a a flawed singular vision than a finely tuned piece of manufactured art. You know what I mean? Oh, I I do. I do know what you mean. And but that, I think that I think you're putting your finger on it here because a lot of the complaining that has led to the arguing that has led to the flame wars that has led to the oh my gosh would everybody please just put twitter down for a week and just walk away everybody seriously just walk away for a hot minute and just settle down go drink a beer smoke a joint if it's legal in your area whatever you want to do to just chill go for a run you know walk watch a sunset something like that but a lot of people that I've seen have been saying, no, this is uh, essentially, paraphrasing again, this is a commodity, this is a product, this is a thing. So they have a set of expectations. And so, in a sense, it's almost like the Marvel wave has hit. People have an people don't want a flawed, singular vision anymore. They want comfort food. They want the fast food. And I think you and I are on the same side of the aisle. I'd rather try a new place and say, well, you know, the fries were really good, but the burger was, eh, you know, it's all right. But people want constancy. They want to go to McDonald's in every town and know that that Big Mac is going to taste the same no matter where they go. And maybe that's, I mean, maybe that's the problem. Maybe Star Wars is trying too hard to be artistic. And that's what's causing people to, although I would argue that Solo is a brilliant piece of art, but whatever. But like, Seriously, like maybe that's what is um, what is causing so much discord is people's expectation is not what they're being given, and that's the problem. Yeah, and that's the thing that I don't understand, you know, because, I mean, Last Jedi to me is a prime example of this. You know, it is a singular vision. You know, Ryan Johnson wrote it and directed it, made it with his own personal crew, and the result was his vision of Star Wars. And there are people who loved it, and there are people who hated it. And yet there is passion on both sides, and that's the type of passion that you get when someone makes a meaningful piece of art, you know? And and that is what happened with, I think, the original Star Wars back in the day, and with the prequels. And that is what I want. And if, you know, I I liked Last Jedi quite a bit, but if it had been a terrible movie, I would not have been complaining about it not being good. You know what I mean? I mean, I I I would have been disappointed. I would have expressed how much I didn't like the movie, but I would have said, like, you know, this is bound to happen. It's bound to happen that someone, you know, anytime you say, like, I, I want something new, I want something that I'm, I don't know what it is because it's someone else's vision, 
you're going to get something that you don't like. And I mean, like you think about Marvel's track record and how, as far as I'm concerned, they have not made a bad movie yet. You do know what you're going to get all the time. And there are pockets of, you know, originality in there and everything like that and, and that singular vision. But they're few and far between and they're managed. And, you know, something like, you know, like we're like, like let's just say Rogue One or, or Solo, like as good as those movies are, the fact that they aren't a singular vision kind of cheapens them in my mind, even if they are better than The Last Jedi, you know? Yeah, I, I don't wind up falling uh, in that camp specifically, but I do, I you know, I the, the really funny thing is that I would rather somebody come up you know, because that's been the big defense of Batman versus Superman, even among people who haven't liked it, who are sane and rational, rational people is at least he swung for the fences. I might not have liked what he did, but he gave it the, he gave it his best shot. He did his thing. I might not have liked it, but it was his. So this is what's interesting to me, then, as we, as we move down that, you know, edge of the, the discussion, right, is. Abrams here has an opportunity coming up where he can, depending on what he pulls off with Chris Terrio with that script, right? He can do something that unifies and brings it all together, right? That Episode nine can be the great unifier. It can heal all wounds, as it were. Do you think that is it all playing in Abrams's mind as he's putting this film together? I hope not. I don't think that his job should be to unify. I think his job should be to make the best movie he can possibly make. The best movie oh, I, he I can possibly make himself. Yeah. You know? I agree. And I have no I doubt agree. that he will. Because J.J. Abrams is a master filmmaker. I just watched... Well, this week I watched The Pilot of Felicity, which I had never seen before. Which admittedly, maybe not that great. Then I watched the pilot to Alias, which I had seen before, which is an amazing work, which he wrote and directed himself. And then I watched Mission Impossible 3, which is a masterpiece. And It's a pretty darn good movie, yeah. I, 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 I am constantly amazed at that guy's talent as a filmmaker. And he can do no wrong, in my opinion. And I cannot wait to see what he has in store for episode nine, which is really weird because like, I don't get as excited about the episodes as I do about the standalone movies because mm-hmm. in a sense, it's kind of like, I think, I think it might just be sort of like that media blitz of like, Ooh, they've got someone new who's trying something weird and what's it going to be? And Oh, this person is cast and this person is cast and When's it going to take place and who's in it and what are they what corner of the universe are they looking at whereas it's like episode 9 well we know that it's going to be after episode 7 and episode 8 we know who's mm-hmm. going to be in it we've known that since episode 7 came out it's like we know everything about it in terms of those little details which sort of like amp up the anticipation leading up to it 
So there's no real surprises aside from like what the actual content of the movie is. And yeah. so because of that, like I was not nearly as excited about episode eight as I was about Rogue One or Solo. And I'm not nearly as excited about episode nine as I am about like basically anything else that they're doing. But like I know it's going to be the best. <laughs> okay. See, I, I think we're in dangerous territory. Um, I, I agree with you. He he should be just making the best movie he can with, you know, the, the pieces that are there and resolve or leave the story open, whatever they want to do with it. But I do think that there has to be some aspect of they know that they have to tie everything together and they know that the whole reputation of the sequel trilogy, 7, 8, and 9, relies on the ability of this to to bring the story together and to resolve things in a satisfying way. Brad Bird wrote in the introduction of the making of Return of the Jedi about how much, no matter what problems he has with Return of the Jedi, they're secondary because it was third of three. There was no way they were going to please everybody. So I, I, I of course, wanted to come in, but I get trepidatious in a sense because... The casting news, you know, just broke as we're record right before we were recording this, that Billy D. Williams is in fact coming back. As you said, the worst kept secret in Hollywood has been confirmed. I suffer some concern given the fact that The Force Awakens was, you know, I, I mean, as much as I enjoy it, as much as I, I came to love it over time, you know, there there is some criticism of, oh, well, you know, Sort of a rehash of things, a soft reboot, which is fine, no big deal. Um, like I'm, I'm actually cool with it in a lot of ways. But when he did Star Trek 09 and then Into Darkness, Into Darkness sort of has that same soft reboot flavor. It's like two soft reboots in a row. I find myself with the casting of Lando and knowing that Nine Nub is still alive. If I today can call that there's going to be a big final battle where Lando is piloting the Falcon with Nine Nub in the co-pilot seat, I'm going to be a little sore about this because, like, it's I don't episode seven. I, I let skate on some things where I've quote unquote seen it before because of the nature of where it is in the saga and those sorts of things. I really hope they don't fall into a trap. Like, I want them to take a cue from Ryan Johnson and say, we're doing something completely original whether you like it or not, and we're just we're just going to go for broke on it. I, I'm terrified that we're heading into, uh, you know, soft reboot territory again with, like, a, a, a Return of the Jedi flavor, even though Force Awakens really is Return of the Jedi, uh, as Spielberg would have envisioned it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, you know what I'm saying? Do you, do you think that that is a justified fear on my part I mean, that we might get that. I can see it. I mean, certainly that's a criticism of Force Awakens, and, and you can see it here too, and certainly that's something which has happened throughout, you know, the Star Wars saga. You know, Return of the Jedi is basically a remake of, you know, A New Hope, and especially when you hear about, like, the original concepts for Return of the Jedi and then see what they actually did, there's certainly a history of, you know, like, you know, wimping out and... Uh, <laughs> going the safe route and, you know, re rehashing things that have happened in the past. And since Force Awakens was that as well, certainly there is that, that fear. And you could say that the sequel trilogy is that as well. 
um, certainly there's that fear. And, you know, you hear like, oh, well, Lando's coming back, and, you know, it feels like, well, yeah, I mean, it seems like that's their thing, bring everyone back. But at the same time, like, I think the tone of this is going to be a lot different because in the previous movies, it was kind of like a family reunion in a sense. And here, like the family is gone, you know, and, and, and Lando aside from nine non is like the, the only one left standing. So I think that there's going to be a different tone to that really. And I think that there's a lot of stuff that you can do with Lando which could be really sort of deep and interesting on a lot of Oh, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. I think it would be really deep and interesting, especially in light of uh, what we've seen with Solo now and, you know, the history. Like, if he's the one that, you know, he's like the Falcon comes back to him mm-hmm. and he views, and like, I, I would love something where it, quote-unquote, comes back to him and he bestows the Falcon. Like, it's his gift of legacy mm-hmm. because obviously the falcon is has become the symbol of legacy throughout the saga yeah. i would love it to be a very intentional thing for him to say this is your ship now you know treat her well and uh and that sort of thing i i think there's there's a tremendous opportunity there i just i don't know i i think that um something i would love as well uh, I mean, I would, I would, I mean, at this point, I would hope for Lando to be, you know, t- to have a big scene with, uh, with Ben, with Kylo, mm-hmm. you know, find out they knew each other when he, you know, Kylo was a kid, and you know, he, this is how we resolve some of the the stuff that Kylo's been talking about and, and and stuff like that. But I don't know. I I mean, it's um, it's one of those things where I I guess with Abrams coming in to wrap it up. And Mangold voicing this and Macquarie saying that, I just, I, you know, I honestly think that Mangold's statement has more of an impact on me than those rumors where they were like, we're putting everything on hold until we figure something out. You know, and Mangold not even being the, the first one to say, I, I don't really want a part of this. If you had, just as a final question, like if you had one thing that you could do or say to the people that are you know, having these big flame wars on Twitter about Star Wars right now. What are you saying to them? How, how do you, how do you see a path out of this wilderness? Like for the the fans. Yeah. I don't know. I like. I have trouble relating to them. To be honest, I I don't. I mean, I guess I would say. Try watching Unsane for no reason other than it's not anything like any of these movies. And, uh, you know, if you're this obsessed with Star Wars, you should probably try watching something else just to see what it's like, just to see what else is out there. So go and watch Unsane and then uh, tweet your reaction. That's what I would say. I think that's good. And you know what? I will take that up, as a matter of fact, even though I'm not involved in these flame wars. And I will uh, I will watch Unsane this week, and I will give you my report next week here on uh, Great Shot Kid. All right, I'll try to rewatch it because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this year has been fine for movies, but, like, in thinking about it, because everyone's like, here's my top ten of the first half of 2018. 
And I keep on thinking, like, what's my number one movie of 2018? And there's, like, nothing where I'm like, oh, that movie was a masterpiece. I mean, there's plenty of movies which I've been like, that was really good. Like, Incredibles 2 was really good. Um, I'm sure there's others out there which have been really good. But, like, there's been nothing where I'm like, that's clearly the best movie of the year. And I think it's probably insane. Okay. Well, I, I consider that a worthwhile uh, homework assignment. And if people can't wait till next week to share their thoughts, where can they find you online to tell you what they thought of Unsane? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, where I do a show called Film Damage about film projection. And, you know, we've been talking about, uh, you know, because you've been out of town, so... Haven't had a chance yeah. to talk to you about it. So we've been talking about some uh, stage nine uh, material and <laughs> who's responsible for making Star Trek, which is a c- completely different thing in 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 terms of all of this. You know, th- th- when compared to Star Wars, for me, and maybe that's what it's weird. I don't know because like if we were to get to go down that you know that side of things and say like how is Star Trek different from Star Wars in terms of authorship and uh, getting mad about people bringing in certain points of view and everything. Like, my personal take on it would be completely the opposite of Star Wars. So... See, it's interesting because I think that because uh, I did listen to the the latest film damage and um, enjoyed Max's reaction to uh, the review I left on iTunes. So that was pretty great. Um, come at me, Max. Come at me. Uh, but uh, I, I can tell you that um, with all of the you know the fervor with with Star Wars and everything, it's the funniest thing because I do think that there is a a night and day sort of reaction. And there was um you know, there was somebody I was talking with online where I said, you know, what is it? you know, with Star Trek versus Star Wars and everything. And his opinion was that Star Trek fans tend to skew a little bit, uh, a little bit older. And so they're maybe a little bit more chill about things. They're a little bit more mature in how they approach things. That could be. Which I thought was interesting. I thought that was yeah. a very interesting. I think people tend to discover everything. Star Trek at a later age. And yeah. um, I think Star Trek fans tend to be caught in the past in a much different way than Star Wars fans are. Um, so, yeah, I can see that. Well, and all the behind-the-scenes kerfluffle on uh, on Discovery right now has flown blissfully under the radar, I'm sure. Yeah, nobody, I'm sure, like, see. Nobody cares. <laughs> no, no, no one, and that's the thing, right? Because it is TV, because Gene Roddenberry has been dead for the past 27 years or whatever it is. Nobody cares who's making Star Trek. All they care about right. is whether or not Klingons have ridges on their foreheads. And that's a mighty contentious topic, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> it's how 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 the Klingons look and uh and and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. You know what? Honestly, it's making me want to go back and rewatch the first season of Discovery just because with all of the tumult, I'm curious what it does to the second season of Discovery. Yeah. There, we're gonna get some. We're gonna get some big yeah. news in just a couple <laughs> weeks. Uh, I have a feeling like the top I'm is sure gonna that... be blown off of Discovery <laughs> on July twentieth at one thirty p.m. Pacific time. Yeah. So. 
I uh, I suspect uh, that uh, the Klingons will have a, a House Berg and a House Harbert who <laughs> suspiciously get blown up repeatedly in episodes uh, over and over again. We shall but, see. But you know, <laughs> just a theory. Uh, if you want to discuss uh, my my viewing of Unsane, which is coming soon, or uh, anything about Star Wars uh, or even Star Trek, uh, you can reach me online at, at uh, Castle Junkie. Uh, I'm usually lurking around Twitter. You can find me here on the network as part of Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing, which is a Star Wars podcast which deals with nothing about current topics and just goes deep dive on the themes and meanings of things. And, of course, you can find me out there as part of Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. So, until next week, the balcony is closed. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.